Welcome to the Living Undeterred podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnston. I'm the founder uh, of the Living Undeterred website. I host a Friday blog and a Wednesday, I'm sorry, Friday podcast and a Wednesday blog. And I am excited and honored today to have my good friend, John Statmuller on. Uh, John, I am going to have you kind of introduce yourself, but I think what I'll do first is give a little background about why I invited you on the show. Uh, I've known you for what seems like since high school days, as much as you and I talk. Um, But then again, we've only known each other for a couple of years, maybe. And Mm -hmm. uh, we do have a common business relationship, which again, we can talk a little bit about that today as we navigate through what I like to think of as kind of the wild, wild west today. I don't have an agenda today, John. Um, If you've seen my previous podcast, normally I have one on addiction, one on sexual abuse, one on suicidal ideation. You know, today is just you and I talking about whatever we want to talk about. Um, and I don't think we're have any problems uh, coming up with some topics. But tell me a no, little bit about John. The problem will be we're, we're going to have too much. We're going to have to cut it off. That's going to be the problem. <laughs> I know. I've had so many late evening conversations with you on topics. And I'm like, are we really talking about this? <laughs> um, so this this should be fun. This should be fun. Um why do you think I asked you on the show? And tell me a little bit about, about you, John. Yeah, so uh, we met uh, through our work relationship. Um, I've been in the, the financial services industry for a number of years and uh, work with financial advisors, have worked with, with financial advisors. And it was, well, I guess even before, Jeff, even before I kind of set off on this cause that, that I'm pursuing, you and I were just working together. And, and I kind right. of hit this, this point, um, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, a point where, um, I just, I didn't want to continue not saying anything, uh, been in the industry long enough, seen enough that I just, I, I couldn't contain myself. I, I felt like a lot of things needed to be said, needed to be said sooner rather than later. And so I've kind of ventured off on this mission and really what it comes down to is good advisors finish first. And, and if you back that up, it's good people finish first. If you do the right things mm-hmm. for the right reasons over time, ultimately you're going to finish the race first. That that might mean you're be trailing for a lot of the race, but eventually you're, you're going to come out ahead at the end. And you know, I heard about your story when we first met and, you know, your personal experience and, and, uh, we, we hit it off as, as you mentioned, we've had some, some late night conversations. Um, I feel extraordinarily honored. You, you gave me the opportunity to, uh, take a look at your manuscript before your book was published. And I mean, I can't, you know, I was, I was thinking about this. How am I going to, um, you know, in an objective way, just say, Hey, you know, Jeff's just, you know, somebody I know, because you're not, you're, you're beyond an inspiration for me. You're uh, a mentor, uh, a leader, um, what you have gone through and how you have taken that and you know, really tried to chart this, this course of, of positivity, living undeterred. It's, it's such an inspiration for me is, is I pursue this, this cause that I'm on. I I can't even begin to tell you, Jeff, how I've said this many times. I don't know how many other people you're influencing. I know it's gotta be a few. Um, I know a hundred percent sure you have had a massive impact on my life. Well, I appreciate that. And, um, the feelings are mutual. Uh, you know, we, we have, um, you know, we have, we have human stories. Everyone has a story to tell and, and no one's got a better one or a more tragic one or a more heroic one. We all have, we all have stories. And, you know, I, I was very drawn to your desire to bring advisors together in, in a platform where we could talk. And, you know, I've been 30 years in the business, John, and I've been on three different broker dealer affiliations. I have never seen anything remotely close to what you have started with a good advisors finish first kind of methodology or ideology or whatever you want to call it. It is an absolutely unbelievable home run, or as I would say in golf language, it's a hole in one. The people I've met, the relationships I've met, the business ideas I have, I've gleaned from some of your people that you've had on as guests, um, such as Ryan and Corey. I mean, two people that I never would have met hadn't it been for you. And, you know, although I've never met them in person, 
I've had conversations with them as well. And I sent them copies of my book and, and I got positive feedback. And um, it's been very humbling, I tell you, because I didn't think at 54, coming into business at age 23, that people would look at me as a leader in something that really doesn't have a lot to do with my business I built up, which, you know, I'm, it's not like we have a, you know, a two man shop out of a strip mall, you know, with a couch on our, in our lobby, in our front porch, you know, I mean, we have almost a little under 650 million of AUM. I have seven uh, full-time, five, six full-time staff and nine financial advisors. Uh, we lost one this year to COVID uh, and it, it's a terrible situation, but um, and Jack was a, a good, hard, hardworking, honest guy and to lose him sucked, but it made us really appreciate what we have when, when we have people still here with us. But I go back to what you built up, John. It's like, wow, I, I need to somehow throw my hat in the ring and support this guy, uh, learn from this guy. And, you know, I was a guest on your, on your show once. And again, I think people maybe are a little thrown off. I know you and I were talking about, well, Jeff, I love your story, but remember, these are all CFPs and these are financial people. And I said, yeah, you know what though, John, but they're, they're, they're husbands, they're dads, they're, they're, they're baseball coaches, they're hockey coaches, they're alcoholics, they're divorced, they're on medicine, they're depressed, they have suicidal ideation. They're human beings just like you and me. And so I'm very grateful to have met you. And I think today uh, I have a list of things and you, you and I both have ADD. So this, this may be torturous for the listeners as we jump We're gonna around, go in a lot but, of uh, different directions, aren't we? <laughs> let's have some let's have some fun with this. Um, I think what I'd like to do is throw out to you when you look at uh, let's talk about the industry first, and then we'll broaden out. When you look at financial uh, advisors or practices, what are some of the key qualities you see in a successful practice uh, from your I don't want to say home office point of view, but from a from a broker dealer point of view? When you're looking out into the world, I'm sure you see very you know, sketchy advisors, you see the cream of the cr cream of the crop there, but what would be a couple things you think would define a very successful advisor and a practice? Well, and I like how you, you, you know, they're human beings. Like you said, they're, they're baseball coaches, they're husbands, they're uh, mothers, they're daughters. I mean, you know, so there's, there's a, there's such a human element and, and it's something that as an industry, we've been missing for a long time. Um, there's almost been a purposeful, I would argue there is a purposeful blanket over transparency in the industry. Let's, let's completely separate, yeah. you know, let's just look at numbers. Let's try and, you know, uh, treat clients as if they're just a number and, and kind of run them through. And, and you see so much of the industry is focused on fees and is focused on regulations and these things that are, are designed to make clients feel good. But to answer your question, you know, what makes an office successful? What makes an advisor successful? In the long run, good advisors finish first. It's taking care of the clients first and foremost. It's, it's mm -hmm. finding the why with their money. And I, I love how you and I have talked about this where you describe people as potentially being financial hoarders, where they, they don't right. even know how to spend their money. And, and that just got me thinking as, as we've had some of those conversations, a financial advisor's job is not to help clients save money. It's not to help clients beat a certain benchmark. At the end right. of the day, a financial advisor's job is to help clients reach their goals, dreams, their objectives, to spend their money. And, and right. so a long-term successful office recognizes that it's about the client. First and foremost, what is the client's why? And, and I've challenged a lot of advisors on this as well, is what is your why? Because you'll see advisors that, that do have successful practices that are growing. And, and it's like growing for what? You know, you hit a certain AUM number or hit a yep. certain production level. And it's like, well, if next year I'm going to add 10%, then the next year I'm going to add 10%. Next year I'm going to add 10%. Why? What are you looking to accomplish? Is it to right. go home and spend time with your family? Great. Then have those goals that tie back to that, that why. Is it to, you know, whatever, go scuba diving or, you know, do other things? I mean, that's, that's a why. Like, you know, doing your work in order to do these, these other things. And so it's focusing on the, the client's why, focusing on the advisor's why, and, and making sure that it's transparent in how that is delivered. It's not 
um, well, I'm going to you know use these cliche industry terms and I'm going to try to, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe not even try. It's just the right. clients are going to naturally become confused just because of how this business has been done. It's the advisors who realize that, sadly, a lot of that is just BS. Let's get that out of the way. Let's talk like human beings. Let's focus on what you want to do. And, and those advisors that do that are... You know, that that do it well are massively successful to the point where they're turning business away, and and right. the, you know that's the, the part of where this cause came from is I kind of look at it. There's two sides of the spectrum. You have good advisors and good businesses. Some of the good advisors may not necessarily be the best business owners because they can't say no because they care so much about the clients. And so part of my job and what I've done and what I'm hoping to do is help some of those advisors. You know, draw draw up um, lines of distinction or, or drop ways to um, give themselves um, a, an ability to manage both work and home life and, and, and help clients, but not, not help clients to the detriment of their business, not help clients to the detriment of, of themselves, and really even potentially disenfranchising clients by setting unrealistic expectations. And so um, anyway, it, it really just comes down to focusing on what's most important to both the advisor and the client. It's interesting you bring up the financial hoarder uh, uh, observation because that's something I coined 15 years ago. And I just saw too many people become old, rich, miserable humans. And we have them in our families, not my family personally, but we have them in our families. We have them in our neighborhoods. We have them in our businesses where people have the sign of success, but they are not at peace with themselves. And so a story that kind of threw me into this was about 20 years ago. So I've been doing this, what, 30, 32 years now. Um, about 20 years ago, I was at a seminar and I got done with this workshop we did. And this lady came into our office to sign up for a one-on-one -on -one consultation. And she came in to meet and she had her uh, um, 401k statement with her, which I thought was odd because I said at the seminar, just bring yourself, don't bring anything with you. She made it very clear that she had 1.75 million in her 401k, like within the first sentence. Yeah, that's okay. That's cool. I'm happy for you. And then she said it again, said it again, bragging about her house. And I just could see very quickly where her priorities were. She thought that was impressive to me, but you know, that, that maybe at the time it was for me, but later on I learned it wasn't. But anyway, I, I asked her a follow-up question that I learned from Nick Murray which was kind of, to me, was kind of the, the benchmark. You know, Nick set the, the bar to, to deal with these, you know, non-financial topics to deal with human beings. You know, Nick, was, Nick is still a, a popular icon in this industry, as is Daniel Crosby. And I sat mm -hmm. across the table from her and I said, um, I don't remember her name, but I said her name and I said, how many grandchildren do you have? And, you know, John, she kind of paused like, wow, I wasn't expecting that from this insurance salesman guy. Um, I have three. And I said, okay, great. When's the last time you saw him? And she said, well, and this was exactly what she said to me. And I tell you what, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Have you seen the price of airline tickets? And I said, no, but I saw the statement on your 401k. That's exactly what I said to her. And it was a quiet there. Like, she's like, F you, you know, screw you. And I'm like, you know, I think the, the aha moment for me was the first thing out of her mouth wasn't anything about her grandkids, but it was about how big, how expensive airline tickets were. And the first thing out of my mouth was, yeah, I saw your 401k. You were bragging about how much money you had. And now you're complaining about paying for the airline tickets. There's a poor relationship with your money, lady. And um, she never became and really, a client. In a poor relationship in, in looking at what your value is, because looking right. at you as, well, I have all this money. Can you help me make more? Like looking yeah, at you, for what? here's an for advisor what? So, that can help me make more. Why? Right. Yeah. So I asked her, Sorry. I said, I'll tell you what. And I ended up never working with her, but I said, if, if we did work together, I'd make one requirement. If we make any money in the first six months, we're taking some of this money and buying you first class airline tickets to California to see your kids. And she ended up never working with our firm. I think, I think my, uh, my wit uh, <laughs> scared her off, but um you know, I got so many stories like that where I'd meet people and they, they, they would just have a very poor disconnect with, with, uh, with their relationship with money. So anyway, that, that's something I was thinking about uh, as, as I was going to put you on the show was kind of talk about that 
that kind of an addiction. It's almost an addiction with money people have in a negative way. You can be addicted to wealth creation. You can be addicted to, um, you know, accumulating your your uh, your chips, as I call it, in my old compulsive gambling terms, um, and get so compulsive about that that you lose focus of everything everything around you. So I think for a financial professional like myself, it's extremely important that we get under the hood with with clients. And I think the industry, you know, John. In defense of the industry, I think they are better at it. I think they are are uh, having promotional materials. They're they're promoting uh, speakers that talk more about the human behavior, the behavioral Correct. finance yeah. behind. Yeah, you mentioned Daniel behind. Crosby. I mean, yeah, or yeah. Um, I mean, I, I talk about Daniel in my book. I called him up, and he was gracious enough to give me an interview. Uh, I'm going to reach out to him here down the road and try to get him on my podcast as well. Um, but I was, he's actually about a couple pages in my book. I talked about this financial hoarder thing. So, well, let's, let's move into some other things because obviously we could talk about the investment world forever. Um, where, where do you see a difference with people's pursuit of, you know, happiness versus peace? And what are some coping mechanisms that, that you use John personally to help you deal with what life throws at you? Good, good question. I mean, this is again where I could um, keep singing your praises because you've you've helped me um, immensely uh, on that front. Uh, so um, it, it's really it's it's interesting. I mean, you and I share a lot of similar interests and in, in, in so forth. I read uh, um, Sam Harris Free Will like probably I don't know ten years ago or maybe more at one point, and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I just kind of took it and and set it down. I didn't really pay that much attention to it, but you and I have talked about this a little bit and the, the nature versus nurture debate and yeah. you know, how much free will do we have and really trying to ponder and think about that. I mean, my mind has shifted so much over the years in just trying to take, take things really trying to um, live undeterred, trying to embrace the hand that we've been dealt and, and make the most out of what whatever whatever hand we, we happen to be dealt. And so when you ask about what things have been helpful, you recommended and, and mentioned the uh, Waking Up app. Um, I use yeah. that and, and, and meditate in the mornings. That's been extremely helpful. Um, we've also talked about stoicism. Um, right. You've yep. mentioned that. Uh, one advisor in particular um, got me turned on to the Daily Stoic, and yeah. I try to read that every day or every morning. I, I haven't been doing as good a job journaling and, and writing about it, but I, I try to, to journal and, and, you know, put down my thoughts, but helping to kind of frame a perspective. I mean, those have been a couple of the, 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 the bigger things. And then I guess just, I guess that leads you to taking a step back and, and, and focusing on what's, what's most important. I guess so much um, relates day job and in home life. So I, I do want to tie it back real quick to our discussion before you, the industry overall has, well, it, it just perception in, in, in the, in society has been, you know, it's all about price and it's all about, you know, higher returns and, and so forth. I mean, a personal story for me, I've told this before, um, I was living out in, in Denver, Colorado. My parents were out there. I referred my parents to work with a particular advisor who gave them the same advice that I gave, but they actually took that advice, moved down to Florida. My dad is now working part-time as a golf course ranger. I don't know, you know, how big of an impact did that make in their lives? I don't know, but it is, you could almost make an argument. It's, it's very possible that that added quality years to my dad's life. Years that Absolutely. I'll get to spend with him, years that my kids will get to spend with him. How valuable is that? I mean, it is beyond measure. How much would I pay for that? There isn't a number. You can't put a number on it. And so doing some of these things, reading the Daily Stoic, meditating, taking a step back and pondering, focusing on what's most important. What do we have? And and I keep trying to drill that home to the kids. Um, you know, you, you have um, your, your grandparents right now. Let's, you know, we're going spring break in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. We get to see both sets of grandparents and just trying to instill in the kids. Hey, what's important like this, you know, take advantage of this opportunity. Don't be sad that it won't last forever. Enjoy this moment while it lasts and, and make the absolute most out of it. You know, if you look at the, 
the numbers right now. I mean, we are just not, I'll focus on the United States, but the world in general is just such a hurting, painful place to, to exist right now. 150,000 Americans died last year of overdose, alcoholism, and suicide. And, you know, we know more about everything we've ever known. There's more information out there on mental health. There's more information out there on smoking. There's more information out there on alcohol. There's more information out there on, you know, opioid overdoses. But, but the numbers just keep going up. So the, for some odd reason, the more information out there isn't helping us make better decisions. And it's exactly the same thing with the financial services industry, uh, uh, John. There's no question we know more about every particular thing about an investment we buy today. Every mutual fund, we could find expense ratios on expense ratios. We could find correlations, you know, how often they trade. We could find everything possible. But why is it the average investor woefully trails the Dow bar averages every single year? It's no different than, than the personal life we live. Um, take a candy bar, for example. I mean, half the candy bar wrapper tells you all the horrible things in it, but we're the heaviest industrial country in the world and we're getting larger. So we don't need more information on on losing weight. We don't need more information on investing money. We need to get more information up here. This is where, and I don't mean in as in as intelligent information. I mean in in getting our mind to understand the motivations behind what we do. Um, you talk about stoicism. Wow, I absolutely, I've, I've taken one of their ideas and I actually wrote a blog on it called um, Positive, Positive Living Through Negative Thinking. And it's the concept of negative visualization, which is the uh, gratitude element of our life. So let's say you're kissing your daughter goodnight for bed tonight. You go in her room, you lean over, you kiss her, you close your eyes for a moment, and you think to yourself, this could be the last time I ever kiss my daughter. You know, you talk to your parents on the phone and you say, I love you, dad. This could be the last time you ever talk to your dad. And I, I you know, I have, to, I have to, for me personally, it, it's a tough thing to discuss because the last things I told my son before he died was, Seth, you need to quit drinking. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm going to take that to my grave, but I tell you what, I learned a good lesson there. I, I, I was given an opportunity to appreciate the fragility of what we have as human beings and the time we have on this planet is very short. We like to think that there's a spotlight on us, but there isn't. There's this illusion. You know, we really aren't the self that we think we are. And, you know, I, I, again, for those people following my story, you're pretty familiar with it. For those people that haven't followed my story, I'll, I'll spend a minute or two talking about it, John. Um, you know, at 50 years old, I, I, I happily married, very successful financial practice, 5,500 square foot house, you know, a couple nice cars, very little debt, three kids, coaching, good health. I mean, I was on top of the freaking world, man, at 50. At 6.30 in the morning on October 4, 2016, everything changed. And I was given an opportunity to become a better human being on that day. I was presented a gift on a platter that said, Jeff, here's your opportunity to learn what life really is about, your real meaning in your life. And that, that opportunity I had was the death of my 23-year-old son by a heroin overdose. Um, and, uh, you know... I could see it coming. He had an eight-year addiction. He started with Adderall at, at uh, 15 years old, went to alcohol, marijuana, went to cocaine, went to jail twice, went to prison once. And then at 23, you know, he for some reason thought heroin was going to be a good idea to get high, and it was laced with fentanyl. And he never made it out of his chair. Um, his arms were crossed. Uh, the belt that he had as a tourniquet was laying on his bed, and my son was dead. And... Um, you know, from that moment, I made a decision, John. I said, I told the boys this, my other two boys. My wife and I decided at that time, uh, we're, we're separated now. And again, when you're dealt the, the death card, it changes the dynamics of a marriage. And um, I'll leave it at that. But when my boys came home from school, I sat them down. My dad's a retired doctor. And I called my dad for advice because I said, you know, we've had pets die and grandparents die. But, I, you know, I don't know how to... I don't know how to tell my two boys their brother's dead. And um, my dad said, Jeff, just tell them the truth and then shut your mouth. Just stop talking. And uh, so I did that. I sat him down. I said, boys, I have some really bad news. Your brother Seth is dead. And I didn't say anything. And my middle son, Ian, looked up at me and said, 
how'd he die, Dad? Drugs? And I said, yeah, drugs. And then I tell you what, John, I had something happen that I, I, I'm not a religious guy at all. I've, I've never had a, 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 a reason to inject that in my life, and I still don't. Um, for some reason, I've found ways to find inner strength for me. And maybe that is religion. I don't know. But I looked at my two boys and I said, and this is a chapter in my book, and it's probably where you and I spent the most amount of time after you read my manuscript. You said, wow, Jeff, that chapter is the, the most impactful chapter you have in your book, and it's called Two Roads. And I, what happened was I just had this thought in my mind. It just popped into my head. I'm like, this is an opportunity. I got one chance to F this up. I got one chance to screw this up. I'm, I'm not going to have this opportunity for this, just this life lesson I can teach my boys and teach myself. So here's what I said. I said, boys, we have two roads we can go down. We have one road of anger, despair, and hatred, and we'll become alcoholics and addicts ourselves. Or we have a road of inspiration and motivation, and this can be the greatest moment in our life and those around us for motivation. I'm on the second road. You boys can join me. And man, I, I don't know why I, I, I know why I said it. But I, didn't, I don't know how that popped into my head. I, I have no idea where it came from. I didn't rehearse it. I didn't really want to rehearse too much. I wanted this to be a spontaneous kind of a organic conversation with my kids and my wife at the time. And uh, wow, ha have we all taken that road? I mean, the two boys have just, uh, I have five chapters in my book about what my son did through golf, you know, raising money through the American Junior Golf Association. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, having, you know, my, my son, Ian, has an award named after him while he was a senior. So he was still on the high school team. They named the Ian Johnston Award after him because he raised so much money uh, for alcohol and substance abuse awareness in honor of his brother. And through the American Junior Golf Association, Ian won the Jerry Cole Sportsmanship Award, which they gave the one kid in the world, John, boy or girl, in junior golf in the world for changing, uh, the, moving the needle on a topic. And they picked my son Ian to win that. Um, and then on top of that, uh, CBS Sports came out and did a documentary on our family through Ian's golf. And Zach Johnson got involved at the last moment and he narrated the piece. So if anyone wants to see it, it's on our Living Undeterred website, but just Google Ian Johnston CBS Sports and you'll see the story uh, that tells us about what we went through. And, you know, since that story's done, you know, I've written a book, started the nonprofit, and now I do a Living Undeterred podcast and our business is thriving. I mean, it's the, we're having the best year we've had in a long time. I mean, our AUM is up. Most people are, clients are happy. Our advisors are happy. So it's like, Bad things can happen, man. The worst possible outcome can happen and your life can actually improve. And it must, it has to. The only alternative, John, is that it doesn't. And I, I just don't have any desire to join Seth just yet. You know, um, we'll see what happens, but um, I am a better human being. I'm a better man. I'm, a, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a great ex-husband. I'm going to be a great son to my parents and my mom is battling dementia early onset. I'm going to be a great friend to you. I'm going to be a great leader in my org. I don't see clients anymore. I stopped seeing clients um, about two and a half years ago. Um, and that was a funny story too. I wasn't in a very good frame of mind to work. You know, still dealing with no, all these things. No, you got to tell it. I, I like this story. I will. Then I'll, then I'll let you talk. I'm stealing your thunder. I had you on as a guest, and now I'm talking too much. Um, but no, so I'm in the office, and I just, I did I have a feeling that I just, I, I just don't want to deal with people. I, it was a year after Seth died, about a year and a half. But I just, I just, I was kind of walking on pins and needles. Little things would set me off. I was still at that time drinking uh, alcohol. And um, I was in the office. I was meeting with a client, been with us for quite a while. Never really a happy person, always complaining about things. And I remember she had a, about a half million dollar account with us and she had made, I don't know what it was, a, quite a bit of money in that year. And I come in all excited about the review, showing her her pie charts and everything's good. And, she, and then first thing out of her mouth was, can we do something about this $100 a year IRA fee? And I tell you, John, it's just like I got hit by a freaking sledgehammer in my face. I just went, really? And I, I shut my, my book I got up, I walked out of the room, I walked down the hall to Brock's office, and I said, Brock, I'm done. I quit. I'm not seeing clients anymore. That's it. 
and I and I, from that moment, um, I've only seen a handful of clients, and it's only been friends and family and stuff like that. But I just figured out I am not going to sit there after I've done everything in my power to get you where you need to be with your retirement goal, and you have the arrogance to ask me about a hundred dollar fee knowing the trauma I'm going through with the death of my child and all these other things that were happening. I just walked out. I never went back in the office. I said, I'm not going back in to see her, Brock, and I'm not seeing clients anymore. And Brock gave me a big hug and said, dude, we got it. We got your back. And that's, that's love. So that's a true story. I have no regrets. I don't look back on things. Uh, I, don't, I don't live in uh, the uh, misery of, of regret very often or living back in hindsight. That stuff's not productive for me. So that's my story of my retirement. Um, <laughs> I'm still working. I, Couple days a week I go in. Most of what I'm spending now is on this project I'm on, Living Undeterred. But that's a true story. So, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, no, there's, I mean, there's so many things, like you said, we, you and I can go for a long time, but there's, there's a number of things that you can take from all of that. You, you talk about the two roads and, and you know, um, embracing the situation that you have and tie that in to how is it possible that we have more information yet we have more obesity we have more information yeah. on the you know the negative impacts of drug addiction we have more overdoses and all the, these things you know how is it possible you know, we have more information in financial service we know more about investments we know more about what's going on yet clients still underperform or still right. you know fall short of hitting their objectives how is this possible it, there's there's a stubborn nature in, in humans, right? To I'm not going to do what you say. Um, I'm going to do my do things my own way, and and people need to. Um, and I, I wish I could remember the the quote exactly. It was George Washington said something like a I might get this right. A people unused to restraint must be led. They cannot be drove. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, it's by example that that people will start to understand these things and. That's what is so inspiring about what you're doing, Jeff, living undeterred, your podcast, your blog, putting yourself out there, telling your story, connecting with other people. You're, you're taking action, showing people a, a different way. In my personal situation, I, I try to, I, I, I've, it's taken a while, but I've learned how um, negative unsolicited advice can be. And so I'm trying to just keep my mouth shut if I if I see something yeah. stoicism. Like I, I constantly want to yeah. just like say, hey, you know, this is a better way to look at it. But and I do say that sometimes, and people are like, you know, get out of my face. Um, but I I look at they're like, well, who are you? What do you know? Like, why are you so special? What do you know? And like nothing, like nothing. In my personal situation, I I it's complete blind dumb luck. It's fate. I don't know what it is. But there is, and, and I will eventually share my whole story, but for now, there's a reason that I stopped drinking five years ago, a, a very prominent reason. I should have lost everything that I have. I should have. I didn't. I didn't hit the rock bottom that I should have. I don't know why. Again, it might just be dumb luck. And, and I did everything I could in my power, in my design, in my free will as I had it to hit rock bottom. I, I yeah. tried really damn hard. And for some reason, I don't know why I didn't. But I could see it. I could smell. I mean, I was within a breath of it. And, you know, that's not me. I just happened to have you know stumbled through that. And in that experience, recognized that there's there's a uh, there's a better way to, to there's a better outlook to have worrying about a hundred dollar fee. There's a better way to invest your money. You, you know, what are your goals? What's your why? Than than just trying to get investment returns. There's 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 um, focus on kissing your kids. You know, goodnight, like you're describing. I, I think of my my own kids. There's there's a much better way to to look at all these things. Um, but you can't tell people that because they won't uh, exactly. listen. The, you have exactly. to show them. I, I was going to ask you about uh, choices. You and I talk about choices all the time. And matter of fact, my nonprofit I formed, which is this is the one year anniversary of the Choices Network. And we went back and forth, John, about what do we name our organization? You know, the Sober Living Group or No Drugs for You or just something very stupid like that. So 
I said, no, I don't want to get into telling people what not to do. I want to get into teaching people how to think. You know, the processes that you use. We all know you're not supposed to do drugs. I mean, Seth knew that heroin in his arm was a, was not a real good idea, um, but he still did it. So there's a choice element there. And so I spent a lot of time on, on addiction, whether it's a disease or a choice. And I started off my journey guns a-blazing. I was all just... You know, I want to upset the apple cart. You know, that's whenever, whenever you have a passion, you come out guns a-blazing. F everybody. I don't care what you think. I know it all. And it's like, after a while, I thought, you know, I, I don't I, have I enough. I know what that's like, Jeff. <laughs> I don't have enough. In, I, don't, I do have enough energy in me, but I don't know if I have the intensity to always be angry like that all the time. I just don't want to be running around telling everybody I know everything. And I don't. Matter of fact, I know very little. Um, and that's what keeps me learning. Um, but I go back to this disease versus uh, choice. Or, I'm sorry, um, addiction disease or choice. And it seems like, and I've written on this substantially. Um, I wrote a blog called Drown the Beast on my website. It's 14 minutes long. And I read all my blogs. We have the words coming up and I read them. Uh, again, with ADD, I like to have multi things going on so I can understand things. So for me, if I can read and see at the same time, it helps me. But I wrote a blog called Drown the Beast. And it's how I just, how I ended up stop, stopping drinking and how I don't play the game with telling people how many days I'm sober. I don't call myself sober. I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I, I, there's so many games that we play as humans that I've tricked my dumb brain to not participate in a lot of the narratives that people like to do. I, the, the story I used in my blog was that, you know, if I was 150 pounds overweight and I'm going to a overweight group, anonymous group, and a year later I lose all that weight, I'm not going to walk into that group and say, hi, I'm Jeff Johnston. I'm fat. You know, I, I, I was. I'm not anymore. So alcoholics go to these meetings and they say, hey, I'm John Statmuller. I'm an alcoholic. Okay, well, I, I just think in a way it's like reverse self-prophesizing. It's like you're, you're talking about it so much what you're not that you may just ultimately reinforce what you really are. And so... I just, to me, I just, I'm not going to play that game. And I want to try to create this mindset for people battling addiction. Stop labeling yourself. I have ADD. My son was diagnosed at 15 with ADD. He took it as a curse, like a freaking werewolf. I took it as a superpower. For some reason, my ADD has been a great gift for me. I feel sorry for people that don't have ADD. So I'm, I'm not allowing anybody around me to ever say, well, my son has ADD. He's, he's, uh, afflicted with ADD. Well, he's the luckiest kid I know. He's a fortunate kid to have that superpower in him. My son Seth didn't look at it as that, John. It was a curse. Popping Adderall that a doctor gave him to so he wouldn't turn into a werewolf at midnight. Didn't work. He got addicted to it. He had an, he had an ADD personality. So the Adderall, if you Google Adderall and you're giving it to your kids right now, Google Adderall and see exactly what is in Adderall. And how it's so close to simple ingredients or the, the qualities of methamphetamine. Um, that's pretty much what it is. It's a prescription level of methamphetamine. And that is scary that we're giving it to our kids. And I have to take to my grave the simple fact that when the doctor gave my son a prescription for Adderall, I didn't do a good job in understanding what that was. I was too busy uh, running my practice, too busy working 80 hours a week too busy worrying about AUM and fees and revenue and all this other crap that I neglected the one thing that as a parent I should have done. And that's to learn what a doctor gave my, was prescribing to my son. It's not my doctor's fault. It's my fault. I take accountability for not understanding what that was. So anyway, um, hey, I got a question for you on something here. You talked about successful failing one time. And I wrote that down and I have it on a, on a piece of paper here. I keep it on my computer. You and I were talking, it must have been like 1130 on a Tuesday. <laughs> some, yeah. some odd time where you and I were trying to solve all these problems. And uh, you said something like successful failing. So I took that and actually ended up writing a blog about it. But what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you mean by successful failing? How do, you, how do you fail successfully, John? So there's again we've talked about this before we could go on for forever on this there's uh a number of things that are driving me and it's it's much bigger than the industry and, and i mean it's not good advisors finish first ultimately it's good people finish first and and really where this ties into all the things that we've been talking about is just 
recognizing in my mind, a good person is just somebody who openly acknowledges imperfection and is constantly seeking to improve. And every single one of us, in my humble opinion, is capable of that choice. Like you talk about choice. Every single one of us is, is capable of that. And, you know, one of the things that I, I don't even know, I guess, the, the, the number one catalyst that, that got me going. Uh, I mentioned a little bit about um, my experience um, with uh, kind of almost hitting rock bottom, but that was years ago. It, this A few years forward from there is when I, I really started to, to run. I remember my mom one time, I would get really caught up in politics and start just going off on all these tangents. And, and she would say this, and I don't know, one time she said it, and I kind of took it to heart. She's like, well, then do something about it. And I guess one of those times I'm like, okay, I will. I'm not going to keep my mouth shut anymore. There's a lot of BS in the world that we need to call BS on. And and not because we need to be throwing stones and, and putting people down. And I, and I love how much you have given me confidence in, in moving forward with this narrative is that it's because a lot of that stuff is actually unnecessary. Um, right. You know, if you if you do things a certain way, if if you find other means, you know, whether it be stoicism, meditation, exercise, you know, I love how you talk about there are positive addictions. There's, it's not all oh, negative. Yeah. Um, there's there's ways to um, I don't know. I, I just got to a point where I had to say something. And so you ask about you know, failing forward. Or I guess I don't even know how I, I, I described it, but it's it's. Um, one of the things that really had a, a, a very, very strong impact on me was Ray Dalio's principles. And you talk about Ray Dalio all the time. Yep. There's, there's a particular symbol, and I was going like, to draw it, but basically, I don't know if I even have it here, but, but basically it's just a circle. And, and all it is is setting audacious goals, failing, yep. learning from that failure, putting improvements in place, and then setting more audacious goals. And, and, and it's funny because I did that. I did his book on an audio book. And uh, my old internal partner, Ken Gula, sent me that symbol. And he's like, and I'm like, oh, that's really kind of cool. Where'd you get that from? He's like, oh, from uh, Ray Dalio's uh, principles. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. If you look at the app that he has, it's that symbol as well. So anyway, that, that failing forward or, you know, um, I don't know, how do, how do we say it? I mean, improving through failure or uh, succeeding through failure. Yeah. It's in my mind or what, what I've, I don't know, stumbled into or, or kind of found, you can embrace or you can, you can acknowledge that in order to succeed, you have to fail. I have to try something, fail, put improvements in place, and then try something new. So you can acknowledge that that's something that I need to do. You can embrace it and say, you know what, I'm going to actually, when these opportunities come, when I have adversity in my life, I'm going to embrace that situation. Or if you really want to go to another level, you can actively seek to fail. Actively mm. seek to fail as fast as you possibly can so that you fail as fast as you possibly can in order right, to right. learn and institute more audacious goals. So that symbol, once you start rolling with it, it's a perpetual cycle that just keeps going up and up and up. It's like, hey, I just learned from my last failure. When can I fail again? And you and I, I talked about it. this or in our group meetings, or you've mentioned this, your delegation and working with your staff. It's another level. And, and actually, Ray Dalio in, in his business talks about Bridgewater. It's allowing your employees to fail. Like you know, if, if you're if you're in a situation where you're so comfortable and confident in, in where you're driving that 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 ship that you're empowering, you know, good people that you've brought on the bus to actually embrace or possibly even seek failure on their own. Um, that's a whole other level, but anyway, it, I guess to me, it's, it's, it becomes a exponential growth equation and it's kind of scary uh-huh. because like, I mean, I just did something goofy the other day. I mean, like it just, you start going down this track. I am like light years further down the path that I envisioned when I first started. Like, I mean, like I wouldn't have even thought years and years from now, it's unbelievable and I'd say the only reason is because I'm, I don't know if I'm necessarily actively seeking to fail, but I'm getting close and, and I'm, um, I acknowledge that that's the way, that's the best way to succeed. You're, you're, you're providing a platform for connectivity, which is, 
probably the antithesis to you know addiction. I mean, being connected to people um, is is very important, and with COVID and stuff, it's very difficult. And you've just kind of your timing with COVID and everything's just been a been a been a home run. But I wanted to um, tell a story. You and I were talking before we taped about uh, kids and sports. You and I have been involved with you know youth sports and things like that. We played youth sports. And it is a, it's a, it's an addiction in and of itself. Um, it's torturous. It's painful. It's very difficult when your kid fails or doesn't do well. And it, it's a helpless feeling because you want to tell them positive things, but then they're like, dad, I don't want to hear that positive things. You know, I'm, I want to stay in my misery. And it's, it's tough. It's very difficult. I'll give you a story that happened the other day with Ian. I told you this, my son, my middle son's a college golfer at the university of South Dakota. Go Yotes. Um, and, um, he's, uh, he's having a good year this year and we flew out to Phoenix last week and first day he had a 75, which was a very good round. I think that was the third lowest on the team. And then the second day he starts off par, par, double, par, par, par. So he, not bad. Then he missed a putt, very makeable putt for par. And that went to his head. He was mad. Went to the next tee, hit a bad drive, bogeyed the next hole. Then he got mad again, hit out of bounds, got mad again. He ended up, which was his round was almost half over when he was having a pretty good day. He walked off the course that day with his worst score in college golf. He shot an 83. And he was devastated. And he was down. But he did it all himself. He could have he could have mitigated that and turned it into a 75 or I mean a 77 or a 78. But he just kept compounding it by negative thoughts, negative thoughts, negative thoughts. Living in the past. Four holes later, he's still thinking about that freaking putt he missed. You know, and, and, and this is youth sports. Kids just cannot have a short time span. And the most successful athletes at any level have a very short memory. I mean, they just don't remember their their um, their mistakes. And so that night... Successes are mistakes. I, I try to coach yeah. Cooper on that. Is like If you strike out um, the next time at the plate, Forget about it. You hit a home run. Next time at the plate, forget about it. Either way. It's hard to do. Memory. It's hard to do. And it is. Um, so that night he went to the team and to, they stayed in a, in a house and I went to the hotel. Normally I will text him things. I decided I was not, that was his worst round. What am I going to say to make him feel better? I didn't do anything all night. I texted him like 11 o'clock at night. What time's your tea time? And I gave him a heart. That's what I gave him. That was it. Next day he goes out, John, shoots his lowest round in college. Shoots a 73 on a, on a very, very difficult course. And so he went his worst round he's ever had in college. Within 24 hours, he had his best round ever. And after we were done, I gave him a hug and I said, see, Ian, I said, the only ball that matters in golf is the ball that's existing between your ears. That's the only ball that matters. The rest of the ball that you're out there hitting, that, that ball doesn't matter. It's the ball up here that you have to win. And I thought when I drive, I'm coming home on the airplane, I'm like, man, what a great story about living undeterred. Ian could have went out and shot an 85 again or an 83, but he didn't. And every kid out there, Cooper, um, any kid out there that's trying for show choir doesn't make it. Trying for jazz band doesn't make it. Trying to be on the debate team doesn't make it. Trying to get into Harvard doesn't make it. Trying to, you know, go out with a, with a boy and doesn't make it. You know, it's like we have to, as parents, Find ways to get kids to think on their own two feet. And our society today does way too much coddling, way too much protection. You know, you and I, when I'm 54, I, I'm not sure. I know you're younger than me, but when I was younger, it's like I had three brothers. We just, we disappeared till dark. I mean, mom wasn't like looking over out the window at, we were four neighborhoods over playing basketball till midnight, you know, and stuff happened bad then too. It isn't like all of a sudden all these bad things happened just now. We just didn't know about them back then, but they still happen bad. Um, but it's, it's a way we're raising our kids today that has me, has me terrified. How we're just, and so the moment that a child, 17 years old, has a problem, they commit suicide. Or they start doing drugs. They start drinking alcohol. They don't, have an, they don't have coping mechanism because we as parents have kind of dropped the ball and letting them fail. Letting them which hit is, rock bottom. Which is why, again, it's not telling them, it's showing them, which is why what you're doing in, in the people that we're connecting with, why it's so important to keep doing this. And, and that story, Ian, I can't wait to show Cooper that or tell you know have him hear that story. It's why we need to keep demonstrating and showing these examples so, so people realize that, I don't know, maybe I've, I've done drugs 
for a while or heroin or, or whatever. You know, yeah. I've lost jobs or I've lost uh, my family or you know, whatever it is. I'm, I'm in a in a down and, and bad spot. Well, guess what? You can't do anything about that. I mean, you know, I don't want to be dismissive. It's tough, but let's take what we know we have right now, move forward and make the absolute most out of it, which your two roads example, I think is just is such a powerful way to look at things. You know, I had a guest on this morning for a future podcast. Um, uh, David, um, I can't remember his last name now. Sorry, um, I got too many things going on. Um, but he talked about codependency being the the number one uh, addiction out there, and the the fear that people have what other people are going to think about them, the fear of letting your parents down because you didn't make the travel hockey squad, or the fear that you know you're going to let down you know grandpa who was a doctor and you decided you want to go into you know, finance, um, instead of being a doctor, the fear of, you know, you look in the mirror, you know, and the fear of looking overweight, or, you know, we just live in this, this society where we, and I even wrote a blog last week called the fear of living. And we talk about the fear of dying. I think human beings are just, they're more fearful of living than they are dying. We're feared, we're afraid of everything while we're alive. And so my whole blog was the concept that, you know, we're, we're, we're afraid of responsibility, commitment, investing in personal growth. We're fear, afraid of confrontation. We're afraid of being vulnerable. We're afraid of loneliness. We're afraid of dealing with grief. I mean, it's just afraid, 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 afraid. We just got to stop being afraid of shit, man. We got to stop being afraid of everything. And the one thing that we have no control over, obviously, is dying. I mean, you can't control death. We're all going to get there someday. But I think we spend so much time on things that we can control, like living, you know? Why don't we spend more time on the things that we can absolutely control? And the number one thing that everything else feeds off us is self-confidence and our attitude. That's the number one thing. It's hard to deal with all these things I just listed if you're not confident in yourself and you don't have a good attitude. If you can somehow find a way, whether for me it's obsessively reading positive, motivational type stuff, meeting people like you that are uplifting and optimistic and people in my life that are toxic and negative, even that client that I had come in the office, I, I have no time for that. I, I'm, not, I'm not a babysitter. I'm 54. I have no time to babysit people. Um, so anyway, um, did we solve anything today? So we're uh, we're gonna have to keep doing this. I told you we're gonna have to do this a lot more because we could probably go on forever. But I, I just real quick before you finish up, I was gonna say one of the things that has has happened. I mean, a lot of things have happened since since I've kind of set off on this cause. But we've kind of started to frame these these certain principles that we're following. It's everyone's invited. Seating is limited. Mercy over justice. Everyone's invited. Good or bad experiences you can learn from every single person and experience that you have. Seating is limited. There's toxic people you don't mm-hmm. you don't need to have in your life at, at certain points. But mercy over justice, and it's not easy. I mean, all of us struggle with this. But it's like I talk to my wife about certain people in our community, and it's like feel sorry for them. Right. Don't judge them. Don't put them down. Don't say you know you're. Um, you know, you're, you're going to live or die by how your your kid plays on, on a certain sport and, and, and right. look down on them for that. It's feel sorry for them. And hopefully right. they hopefully we can show them a better way. I know you and I are big meditators. Um, I use the Sam Harris app as well. And again, I, for those of people who don't know Sam Harris, he's awesome. He's where I get a lot of my my uh, help from when I need to read something. Um, but I wrote down something that I thought helped me tremendously one of the and i think you had a post on linkedin because you always have little softballs and i i'm always take them like a big fish you know you throw out i know they're all for you because <laughs> i know i'll get you <laughs> i'm like oh. it's like geez john you must know me pretty well so i think you threw out something like what's the one thing you did last year that made your life more peaceful and for me it was incorporating meta mindfulness in my meditation practice and what that simply is is when i'm doing my meditation i think of one person that i don't like person i just don't have any uh any pleasure seeing in the mall i don't i don't want to talk to him not to say i hate him but i just don't like him i I don't i don't enjoy his company he's uh, arrogant he's narcissist he's mean to people he's overly pushy on his belief structure I won't go anywhere with that. Um, and uh, in my meditation practice, you spend time meditating and you simply say, I, I wish you happiness. May you be happy. 
May you have a great day. May you have health. May you be have prosperity. And boy, it's I don't know if that's a little Buddha, Buddhist uh, mentality there or practice, but it's like you come out of that thinking, I feel pretty good. The person I spent so much time hating or didn't like, I just wished him a hell of a good day. And that, that was a life changer for me when Sam Harris actually had that on one of his meditation practices. I'm like, I'm not going to wish this dude good luck today. I, I hate this guy. I despise him. You know, some of the stuff I've seen him done, some of the things he's done to me. But then when I closed my eyes and actually thought that all that negativity was just a thought, it's just a fleeting thing up there in my conscious mind, that if I just let it expire and then replace it with positive thoughts, you just start flushing toxicity out of your body. And so that was one thing that you had thrown out there that I jumped on. And I noticed it was that some people liked it, but I think some people, I don't think I'd ever heard of it, but it's called meta mindfulness. That's, that's, it's in my meditation practice. And it's a good practice, even if you don't meditate, to just think about somebody that you don't like and just wish them good luck. Or somebody at the mall, somebody in the line at the grocery store cuts in front of you. Just smile at them. Wish them a good day. It ain't that big a freaking deal. You know, somebody cuts you off, you wave at them. Or don't even do anything. Because some because, of them take that as something. Well, because we've all been through shit. And who knows what right. they're going through at that particular right. moment in time. If they're toxic right. and it's not the right relationship for you today, I mean, you know, that you have to be mindful of your time and, and your connections and, and what's influencing your life. But maybe something changes and later on they, they come back and now they can be a positive influence in your life. I mean, who knows? Um, but you just, you don't know what, what people are going through. And it's, um, and again, all of us have been there, like, and are still there and all the stuff we're going through. So what's, what's the next chapter for you? Uh, don't steal your thunder, but I know you, you have a lot of, you have a vision board. Um, I see the one that you have there kind of behind you often, but I'm sure you have your, your other one that no one gets to see your, your personal I might, vision board. I have board, it covered but... up on the board. If Well, that's just the, <laughs> that's just the marker to, to show that we're on track over the next couple of years. I mean, really, I mean, it's, it comes down to, I've, I've found my why for myself. It's, it's ensuring good people finish first right now. That happens to be ensuring good advisors finish first. Um, and this might change over time, but my kind of personal model or, or, you know, my outlook or the, you know, what that kind of means. I mean, I can get into really deep stuff, but you, you specifically, Jeff helped me to embrace that term unnecessary. You know, my intention, you know, for the rest of my life is to demonstrate that the compelling or coercing of charity is unnecessary. And in this all kind of ties together. There's so many people that they may not know any better. They might, you know, our industry specifically clients don't know any better than to ask questions right. about investment returns or something. I mean, like they've been taught and trained that I believe, you know, and that's just one of 10,000 examples, but again, we can carry it on well beyond the industry. There's just, there's so many things out there that are unnecessary and, and, and actually could even be hurtful when you talk about choice and talk about, you know, people just wanting to pawn things off and well, it's not my fault or whatever it happens to be. It, it it's unnecessary to begin with. And so I think we can hopefully show some of those things are, but it's really damn scary when some of those things are actually hurtful and, you know, more harmful than good. And I think, you know, to complement what you said, kind of what some of my objectives are, and I know there you and I are kind of meeting here uh, with some some potential projects and stuff we can work on together to try to just you know help people navigate through this stuff. Um, you know, I got one foot in the financial services pond, you know, because I have a lot of good experience there, and I, I seem to have some things that could still add value, even though I'm technologically challenged, as you well know. Um, but, but you, then I but got you. But you, but you acknowledge that, and that's part of what CS so like the next. That's part of what we're doing with these meetings. And there's, there's a lot of advisors out there, or people in general, that are stubborn and set in their ways, and they're not going to learn. But guess what? There's a lot that actually are open to learning. And you're, you know, I'm going to learn technology. I'm going to learn from younger advice. Your staff, like I just, right. you know, you're such an inspiration just in the business, like embracing and, and saying, Hey, I don't know everything, but maybe collectively, and I can hire some of the right people that are going to teach me. And, and so that's such an important mindset. And, it, and right. again, it's not, fortunately, you're not the only one with that mindset. Unfortunately, there's a hell of a lot of people who don't have that mindset. 
Yeah, we talked, I think, when I was a guest on your show about some of the, the, the things that helped me when I went through a personal traumatic event. And the one thing was the knowledge, desire, and time philosophy that I embraced a long time ago. Yeah. And I actually got that from Rick Edelman, uh, who's you know done quite well in this industry. And um, you know, the, it's a delegation mindset. And I took that with everything in my life, not just staff and, and premier, but everything, decisions on hiring an attorney or even doing the podcast, I got people helping me on that. I'm trying to learn pieces, but I, I'm not, with ADD, I can't learn nine things in one day. I just can't. Two is my maximum. But it is a superpower, Jeff, if you stay in your lane. It's beyond a superpower. Right. It's the impact right. that you're having and will have. It's, I mean, it's immeasurable. And, and the more you can just stay in that lane of what you do best, that's where that impact's going to be most significantly felt. And, and part of that is going to be making sure you're not getting distracted on, you know, stuff that you're, you're not going to be an expert on anyway. The um, thing that's kind of got me really motivated is whenever and wherever I am, and inevitably the conversation goes to, you know, how many kids you have? And I say, I have three. I have two with me today, and I have one that... Um, Again, I'm not a believer in the afterlife, so I'm not sure if I will ever see Seth again, but I don't need to. I see him right now here while I'm alive. Kind of that heaven on earth mentality that I'm trying to live. And I don't have time to wait to die, you know. Um, so it's like, you know, and so when I tell my story immediately, uh, Jeff, I used to be a drug addict. I used to be an alcoholic. Um, I have a lady, Danielle McLean, that's a guest, I think next Friday. She was a drug addict. She was sex. She was raped at 16. She was a prostitute. Now she runs her own aerospace company. She founded her own. She went back to college, got an engineering degree, and now she owns her own aerospace company. That's a freaking rock star to me. Here's somebody that had every reason to give up their life. She said she tried to commit suicide, but she didn't. And now fast forward, and she's the epitome of success. So I'm telling everybody out there, you know, most people aren't going to have the life Danielle had. Most aren't probably going to have a death of a child, things that I've been through. But whatever you've been through in your bubble is just as traumatic. And so you can and you have to find ways to get out of it. And for me, John, my podcast is it. My, my book is it. Um, you are a featured part in my book. I have a, in my um, very beginning. There it is. As a father, as a professional in the... I'm not going to read it all, but you gave me a really good testimonial in my book. And again, I only picked a handful of people to read the manuscript and, and I've only known you for a couple of years. So that tells you how much of an impact you've had on my life. Um, but anyway, uh, we are at the clock. I'm a little bit over an hour, which is fine. It's my podcast. I can go as long as I want, <laughs> but I do have to get a haircut. So I got to get out of here. Um, listen, friend, I, I admire you. I and and uh, you and I together can do a lot of positive things and the door you have cracked open with good advisors finish first and the kind of the world you created the arena you've provided for us to meet people has been you know a, a legacy for you John and and this thing is in its infant stages you know think how how great this can be and and it's you know, it's so much bigger like you know again this is years and years and years but like Dan it's good people finish first like how yeah if we could like you said, you could say so many things to hopefully prevent people from going through some of the traumatic things that Danielle, or we can celebrate what she has done and taken and, and made into just an amazing, um, you know, lifers. And again, so many people are coming up to you and telling you like how many people you, you tell me all the time about all these people who keep coming up to you. You're the one that introduced me to Danielle. Because you, well, yeah, you shared, well, you I, shared I didn't a know story. Her. I just on saw LinkedIn. her on LinkedIn, but yeah. Right. And you shared a story. I said, wow, this is awesome. I liked it. Then I personally DM'd her or whatever that's called. Um, and she got back with me and then she was a guest on the podcast. Now, now I know her like a friend. And it's like, that's the beauty and the velocity of relationships is, is just, it's all inspiring. You can go from Which is why one minute we don't need to be looking somebody. at all those we don't need to be looking at all those negative stats that you threw out, you know, no. obesity and drug addiction and all that. Right. We need to be focused on how can we, how can we demonstrate a better way and find these people that, that are, um, that can be the inspiration to actually change what's, what's going on instead of, and know, I watch get I, that. I watch a lot of people you have on your, uh, on your, um, 
on your stuff and um, kind of the reoccurring theme is, you know, create content, create content, create content, you know, put it out there, put it out there, put it out there. However, it's easy to get distracted by likes and followers and shares and all that stuff. So when I wrote my book, um, I took a year off of my life to write it and I published it on what would have been my son's 27th birthday, 925 of last year. So it's been, you know, what, 9, 10, 11, 12, about six, it's been about half a year since my books come out. I get asked all the time, how are book sales going, Jeff? I've never looked one time. I haven't looked one time how many books I sold. The second that I look at how many books I sold, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get graded right there. I'm either gonna be happy, average, or upset. Two of those I don't want to be. I don't want to be average. I don't. So two thirds of the outcome are negative. I'm never gonna look. I don't care. That's not why I wrote the book. That's not why I post things on LinkedIn is to get likes and followers. I want people who are our collaborators. People are measure it excited. measure it by how many people like Danielle you're meeting or how many people right, like exactly. that are reaching out to you. Measure it by that. Yeah, I, I don't need public affirmation. I'm not in this game to stroke my ego. I I I. I I'm, I'm, I'm a confident person enough that, and so are you and most people in this industry, we don't need that. But there is something about throwing things out there and having people comment that fuels your fire to come up with more content. And that's what drives me. So, hey, listen, brother, um, I love you hey, like you a go. brother. Yep, I love you like a brother. Um, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. And um, uh, I, um, I'm excited about this uh, other side project called Clubhouse that I'm going to, I'm gonna dive into head first. <laughs> um, I'm gonna drag you into a, it. We can get I into that story. I have to tell a quick story <laughs> um, for people watching this. I'm just new to Clubhouse, and John's John's kind of a, a new to it as well. But when he kind of talked about it to me, he said, "Well, the first time I was in it, Jeff, I looked at my clock and it was four in the morning." So I started calling John my drug dealer. I said, "You know, John, I don't know if I can handle Clubhouse because I think I'm just gonna get addicted to it because it seems to me very alluring, very seductive." And um, I guess with that, I'm sure you and I are going to spend some time on Clubhouse talking about these things. And we're going to invite people. I think it's called, what do you call them, pinging or um, what's the term? Yeah, people people in, but, I mean, but part of that allure for people like you and me is because there's a lot of BS on there, just like anywhere else. But there's a lot right. of raw, real. Like, a, I mean, you can find that if you're looking for it, like beyond any other communication means that. Um, is out there because uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, you can hide behind words um, right. on that platform. There's no hiding. Right. Well, listen, man, have a great afternoon. Right. Rest, of your, rest of your day. Uh, say hi to the family. And uh, as always, live undeterred. <laughs>